Genesis chapter 22. This morning we want to continue our series on the Lamb of God. Um, Christmas series on the Lamb of God. And again, in John chapter 1, John looks out to Jesus and he says, The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, there is this string that is thread of sacrifice and particularly of a lamb, of a pure lamb that then is, it grows and it's expanded and, and you begin to see some more things about this promise that it's not just a sacrificial system but there is a sacrifice in view, a sacrifice in mind. This pure lamb will be born of a virgin. This pure lamb will be rejected and will suffer. This pure lamb is actually the king and the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And, and, and so this uh, concept continues to grow and to expand as we read throughout the Old Testament and then into the New Testament and we see Jesus Christ, this lamb of God. And this morning I want to take you to one of the most uh, interesting stories of scripture and and hope that not only do we see jesus christ in this story but we see directly that this story can't be understood unless we understand jesus christ and that is the story of abraham and isaac on mount moriah now god made us and he knows us perfectly and he understands the way that we learn and and that we understand in our cognitive abilities. And one of the ways that God has made us that is uh, profound and very important to, to recognize and understand if you want to influence others or, or teach others something is that though we learn through didactic dialogue, we also learn greatly through stories. In fact, I would argue that probably you remember more stories than you do sermons. Throughout scripture, we cling and hang on to many of these stories as we read them. And, and that's why God has preserved them for us like that. One of the greatest and, and unusual stories that we read in the Old Testament is the one that we're going to look at today. The story of Abraham and Isaac as they go up Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22. But I, what I want you to, to remember and what I want you to see is that God has given us these stories, not just for the story within themselves, but many of the stories within the Bible, when we have the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we see is some of the most amazing, impactful stories of the Old Testament weren't just about the Old Testament. They were to be fully revealed when we had the New Testament, which is what we see in this story about the lamb that is provided, that God will provide the lamb. So look with me, if you would. Let's read together this text. Let me, let me read it for you and follow along. Genesis chapter 22, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 14 this morning, and then we will look at them. This is God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on 
one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and arose and went up to the place where God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy, nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up and it was a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What an incredible story. But what I want to share with you this morning is not just the incredible nature of that story in its original context, but the incredible nature of that story in its fulfillment. For this story served as many of the Old Testament stories do. There was an event in the past which took place. But that event took place, orchestrated by God, recorded by God, preserved by God for us to read so that we would understand how God would build upon that later as we read the New Testament. The Old Testament is full of this, this kind of typology and understanding of how God has worked in the eternity past that he knew the future and what would happen, that we can read the Old Testament and just as Christ did once he was resurrected, show the people on the road how he is the fulfillment of all the things throughout the Old Testament. So we should read the Old Testament through New Testament lenses. That's what I want us to do this morning. There's four things that I want us to see from this story. There's four things that I want us to understand about the lamb that God has provided. The first thing that we see in this story is we see a great saint. We see a great saint. And a saint is a, is a word, I know that, that it seems to be like a really Catholic word, right? And so Protestants typically don't use it. We don't believe in sainthood, but we believe that all of those who are true believers in Christ, who are redeemed by him, are part of the saints. And so uh, Abraham is one of those. Abraham is one who has great faith. Abraham is one to whom we regard as the father of our faith in many ways. And one that is an example of faith 
There's some interesting things that we can learn from him in this story. The first that we see is just his name, Abraham. Of course, if you remember, his name originally was Abram, which means exalted father. And God later changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, there's a great irony in this. The great irony in the name of a man who was called father is that he was childless. He was childless. And the promise that God gave to Abraham when he called him and he called him from his family's homeland into a land that he would give him, a land of faithfulness, and gave him a promise that he would be with him forever. Part of that had to do with having children and a family and a place. And so he changes his name to Abraham. Now, I don't have time to go through all of the story and all of the covenant, but again, it's quite an irony that a man without child, without children, is to be called the father of many nations. And what we see throughout the story of Abraham, even after God comes to him and he reveals this to him, is that it doesn't happen immediately. And Abraham's life is one that is a life that is marked by belief and faithfulness now he he struggles he has times of doubt he has some episodes but overall he believes God and it's counted into him as righteousness that's what the text says Genesis 15 verses 5 through 6 very important verse in understanding the Old Testament and understanding the the nature of this this thread of Jesus that runs throughout and this is the the calling of Abraham it says he brought him outside and he said to him, look to the heaven, look to the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He says this to an elderly, fatherless man. So your offspring shall be as numerous as the stars. Verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord and it was counted unto him as righteousness. I want you to understand something. I don't have a whole lot of time to break this down, but, but I, want to put this, I want to put this seed in your mind as you read the Old Testament, as you think about the Old Testament. So often you may have been taught, you may have heard that the Old Testament is about works and the law, and the New Testament is about faith and belief. Works and faith. I want to tell you just from the very story of Abraham, and I would argue that Paul reiterates this again in Romans and Galatians, is this, Abraham was saved not because of his works. Abraham was saved because of his faith. Paul talks about the fact that there are people who are of Abraham's genealogy that are not of Abraham's faith. For Abraham believed, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Abraham serves as an example of a faithful person, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well, for he believed God. Not only do we see, can we learn about him from his name, but we can learn about him from his nature, from his obedience, from what he does. Look at verse 1, the Lord says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. The Lord says, pack up and go. He says, I'm going. The Lord says, sacrifice your son. He says, get the wood. You see that? Everything that we see in this story about Abraham is of faith. His, his nature, because he believes the Lord, because he believes that the Lord is good, because he knows the Lord, because he trusts the Lord, that, that whatever the Lord commands of him, whatever the Lord directs him to do, he does. 
without hesitation, without argument, without grumbling, he always says, here am I. What a great example for us, isn't it? The genuine faith should result, result in genuine obedience. After all of these years, we still view Abraham as a great saint. He's called by name over 284 times in the Bible. Why? Because he is an incredible example of someone who truly loved God, believed God, and sought to serve God. The second thing that we see in this story is a great sacrifice. This story stands out because it is a story like none other in the scripture. It almost seems in this story that God is commanding in some way something that he detests in other places in the Bible. That would be child sacrifice. But I want to assure you that that's not the purpose of this text. This text is not prescriptive in God setting up a new type of worship that he would command of everyone. He, he never commands this again. This is a particular case that serves as an example of how God would test Abraham. And it also serves as an example of how God himself will provide a sacrifice of his son. Look at it as we go on here. First, we see a challenge. It even says in the text that, that Abraham is tested. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, I want to open your eyes to something that maybe you don't know. James tells us that God will not tempt us into evil. God will not lay a burden in front of you that by which you must sin to accomplish. God will not do that. But God will bring a testing of your faith. God will bring a testing of your faith. Now, that's hard sometimes for us to, to realize, but, but he is a, a good father. He is a loving father. He knows you. He knows your abilities. He knows his plan for you. He knows where you are, where he wants you to be in the process of sanctification, and he has a plan to get you there, and that often involves testing. Now, it makes a lot of sense. Parents, we often push our children to do things that we know they're able to do, but they don't quite know it yet, don't we? In fact, that's good for them. I remember as a baseball coach when, when I was coaching Little League that there was often times where I would work with a, a, a kid throughout practice and, and he was shaky and he didn't have the confidence, but I knew that he could do it and I would put him in a position or I would put him in a situation where he was scared to death. But I knew as the coach what I was doing. I knew that if I put him in that place at that time that he had the ability to do it, he just didn't have the confidence to do it. And it was amazing to see when it all worked out made the play, and he realized, I can do this, right? God loves us and knows us, and I want you to realize he's doing much of the same thing in our life. Much of what you encounter is a test that God is showing. Uh, he's showing you, one, you can trust in him. He's got this. His word will be true. He will carry you through. And two, he's showing you that you are an example to others of what faithfulness looks like. 
you can have peace that passes all knowledge because you trust in the Lord no matter what. So this is one of these tests. Will, will Abraham love his son who God has promised, who he's waited for, who he's desired, who his name is after? Will, will God choose that son over God? Or, or that son over God? Will, will Abraham choose that son over God? That is the test that God lays before him. And it is a great test. It is a great challenge because it represents a great cost. It is his only son. Look at verse 2. It's reiterated here. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and bring him to me as a burnt offering. What an incredible challenge that God lays before him. But again, I want you to understand you cannot read this story in isolation from the understanding of the Lamb who will come, from the understanding of the Lamb who is provided. You see, God tested Abraham and had him bring his son there to Mount Moriah. But later, God will bring his son, Jesus Christ, to Mount Moriah. Do, do you realize this? Mount Moriah where God directs Abraham to go, we know that by another name. That's Calvary. It's the exact same place. God calls his son there. And his son is not spared. His son is the lamb that's provided as the substitute. What a cost, an immeasurable cost that God pays that he sacrifices his son for our sin, that we might be made righteous. Again, look at Abraham's compliance, verses 3 and 4. So Abraham, God says, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, your son. And he doesn't beat around the bush. I will have you sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And Abraham's response, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, Took two of his young men with him. His son Isaac, he cut wood. He arose and went to the place. He follows the Lord. He never wavers. He simply gathers all of the needed things to provide this worship. And he goes to the place that God tells him. And again, God knew where he was telling him. Are you not? <laughs> I'm trying not to get like crazy excited about this okay does it not just like blow your mind to understand that where God is leading Abraham to sacrifice his son is going to be the exact same place where Jesus is crucified it, it just when you read the story through that lens it just it, it opens it up it takes a whole new meaning doesn't it Jesus is throughout this entire story this story is given to us not just to be a, a story about Abraham and Isaac and Abraham's faithfulness, but about God's provision for us that he has provided the lamb. The very place, the very place where Abraham is called to go. And Abraham not only is compliant, but look at his confidence in verse 5. In verse 5 it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, wait in the car. Right? Right? Wait in the car, 
I and the boy are going to go over there and worship and come again and see you. We're both going and we're both coming back. He has great confidence in God. Now, why does he have great confidence in God? What is going on here? This, this almost seems uh, bipolar, doesn't it? God said, you're going to take your son, you're going to sacrifice your son. And uh, he, he went and he got all of his stuff, not to have a barbecue, but to have a sacrifice. They go to the place, and they're going to go to the mountain, and he says, we're, we're, we're both coming back. He has great confidence. Why? Well, because he, one, knew that God had made great promises of Isaac and to Isaac, Genesis 17, that that he would be the father of 12 princes. He, Abraham had confidence in what God had said about it. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew that God would keep his promises. In fact, let me give you another insight of how to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And that is, there's often where the New Testament gives us information that the Old Testament doesn't. Both are divine-inspired words of God through the Holy Spirit. So I can tell you without a doubt, even though the Old Testament passage doesn't tell you what Abraham's thinking, I can tell you that I know what it is. Because Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises... He had received the promises was an act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, so through Isaac your offspring should be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. So what was Abraham thinking as he's got the knife and he's ready to plunge it into his son and sacrifice his son for God? God will just raise him back from the dead because God has made his promise about Isaac and God will keep his word. Isn't that amazing? Oh, how fast we waver. How fast we vacillate. How fast we forget the promises of the word of God as we encounter hardship in life. As we encounter difficulties. As we encounter challenges and even tests. What an example this passage is. He had such a firm confidence that he didn't understand everything that the Lord was doing, but he knew that the Lord had promises, and so he was going to follow the Lord when the Lord had told him, and he knew the Lord would work it out. He figured if, worst case scenario, he's going to raise him back from the dead, right? What a confidence in God's word. What a trust in who he is. We see a great saint, a great sacrifice. <laughs> we also see a great son. We see a great son. Uh, first of all, he's a hard-working son. We see this in verse 6. Uh, who's the one that carries the, the, the wood up to the mountain? Isaac does. He lashes the wood for his own sacrifice upon his back as he goes up that mountain. That very same mountain, perhaps that very same path that Jesus would walk with wood strapped to his back. Doesn't this just, when you read this and you put this together, this is the same place, the same events, the same things being pictured and foreshadowed and shown. Jesus walks with the cross up that road to Mount Calvary upon his back, beaten, barely alive, carrying his own burden, carrying his own cross that will put him to death. 
just as Isaac followed faithfully and trusted his father, so Jesus will. Isaac didn't do this. Um, he, he, he wasn't unaware of what was going on. Uh, look at verse 7. He says to his father, uh, Dad, where's the lamb? <laughs> right? Like, this isn't his first sacrifice. He's not a baby. Okay? He, he is a young man. We don't know exactly how old, but he's old enough to carry the wood. He's old enough to, to contemplate what's going on here. He's old enough that, 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 that he, he's able to do these things. And so he, he comes and he goes up the mountain. He carries the wood. And as he's doing it, he thinks, well, we've got wood and we've got fire and we've got a knife. What don't we? Where's the lamb? <laughs> Where, where's the lamb? Abraham says something that probably wasn't very comforting at the moment. Son, God will provide the lamb. Okay. And so he continues up. Not only is he contemplating what's going on, but you see that he's willing. Both of them went up together. There's, there's no rebellion that's detected in Isaac in verses 8 through 9. We, we even see that again, he, he submits himself to be sacrificed. By this time, Abraham's probably 115 years old. If Isaac wanted to get away, I'm sure he could have gotten away. And yet, for some reason, he allows himself to be bound and to be placed upon the wood. To stay there as his father would slaughter him on the very place where Jesus laid down his life. The very place where Jesus willed and went to the cross. Jesus was not a consequence of scenarios. Jesus, was, Jesus on the cross was not just bad luck. Jesus on the cross was, was not that he was caught unaware and ended up being arrested and, and for some reason couldn't escape. And, and the disciples gave up on him when they really could have, they could have freed him and, and got him out of jail. I mean, could you imagine if Hollywood got a hold of the Bible story? Like what all the things could have happened? But the whole point of what scripture is, is that Jesus went to the cross. He knew what was going on early on in his ministry. He's telling the disciples over and over again, I am going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I will die in Jerusalem. In three days I will rise again. And they're all going, what? In the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is in intense prayer to the point that blood vessels are, are bursting. And it looks like blood is running down his face. He prays with knowing what is going to happen, the sacrifice, not just the pain, not just the suffering, not just the cross, not just the nails, but the judgment of God placed upon him. The separation for the first time ever and the Trinitarian bond and unity that has always existed between the Father and the Son, that which Christ would suffer and die and pay, not just physically, but spiritually, that we might be saved. In those moments, as the weight of that weighs upon Jesus in the garden and sweat, it like blood is coming out of his skin in great intensity, Jesus says, 
not my will, but yours be done. And then Jesus gets up from prayer, and he looks, and he says, see, here they come. Knowing what was going to happen, willingly submitting himself to the Father, just as Isaac did at the same place all those years ago on that day. We're told of a great saint, we're told of a great sacrifice, we see a great son, the picture of Jesus Christ. Now we get to the main point, verse 11, and that is a great substitute. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered him as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, and so it is today on that moment, on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This ram is a picture. Do you see it now? I hope you'll never read this story the same again. I hope you'll never hear this story the same again, that, that you will see the crimson of Christ's blood dripping throughout this story, the obedience of the Son, the, 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 the sacrifice of the Father, and the provision of the Lamb who was on Calvary. That Lamb is Jesus Christ. That is the Lamb that is provided. Last week we looked at the promise. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the moment that man had fallen, the moment that sin had been entered into the world, the moment that that, that that curse of death had passed to man, God provided a promise that from the woman there shall be a seed, and that seed will destroy Satan. And now we see that promise as it grows, that Lamb of God the very lamb that's provided there on Calvary back in the time of Abraham and Isaac is the very lamb that will be there, Jesus Christ, who is provided for our salvation. You see, we can't do this on our own. The lamb was provided. Christmas is about the provided lamb. Christmas is about that, that God has provided a way that we would be saved. That, that we can't do it ourselves. Our own sacrifices, our own attempts at good works, our own attempts at keeping the law. All of this will never atone, will never cover for our sin. God knowing that. Made a sacrifice. His son. And that lamb... That lamb that was caught in the thicket is a picture of the lamb that will come forth from the virgin. It's a picture of Jesus, the perfect lamb, the lamb that goes to Calvary, the lamb that is your substitute, the lamb that dies in our place that we might be saved. So as we conclude, let me, let me ask you this. This has been a great lesson. It's been a great history lesson. It's been a great uh, hermeneutical exploration. 
But the question is this, what will you do with that lamb? What is it that you will do? What is it that the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, what is it that you will do with him? Will you receive him or will you reject him? Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Pray with me. Father.